What is the percentage of your business comes from referrals from clients, do you think? I would say clients alone, probably 50% of my business, referral business. Really? Okay. So what is something that you do that you think helps, encourages that many referrals? Yeah. The big thing that has gone well for me is annual reviews. I've had a CRM from the beginning, haven't used it as well as I probably should have, and I'm still fine-tuning that. But the one thing I did do very consistently was make sure I was touching base with my clients at least once a year in a five-year term for an annual renewal or an annual review, rather. And boy, does that really help at uh, renewal time because, you know, there's been five really, really detailed touch points, probably some other touch points from newsletters and that sort of thing. But that's helped a lot, I think. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, Paul Hudson. Paul is a mortgage broker based out of Squamish, BC. Been in the business for 20 plus years. And we talk about how he gets over 50% of his business from his clients. We get into some of the stuff that he does for his database to help him generate more business. Paul's just a stand-up guy. I really enjoyed my conversation with him. I think you're going to take a couple of nuggets from that conversation. Also, in this episode on the Asset Expert segment, I talked to Kevin from KDK Financial about uses for refinancing auto loans that you're going to be surprised at how helpful they'll be for your mortgage business. Before we jump into that, let me give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. Very easy to use. And as they're filling with that app, it's automatically determining what documents that the borrower needs. And then as soon as they hit the send button, they get a notification saying, hey, why don't you send us these documents? And what they've been finding is more and more people when they're filling with these applications actually go gather up a lot of the documents. They're like, oh, I got them here anyway, might as well send them to you. And it's pretty sweet to basically show up not only with an application in your inbox, but also documents for that file. Check them out at lendescom slash Finmo. And then check out this episode with Paul. Hey, Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, Scott, how are you doing today? I'm outstanding, man. So tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the mortgage business. Yeah, yeah. So Paul Hudson of Paul Hudson Mortgage Wealth. And I've been in the business just over 20 years now. And I started off with RBC in the branch. And that eventually turned into a role as a mortgage specialist earning commission. And so how long were you a mortgage specialist before you switched over to being a broker? About uh, 10 years as a specialist. Okay. And then how many years now as a broker? 10? Would that be correct? Or was there a different amount of time in there? Pretty close. Yeah. I think we're going on year nine in January. Okay. And then, so what made you decide to make the jump from the bank to being a broker? Definitely um, felt limited in what I could deliver to clients and just the overall product offering. I did feel that RBC at the time had a great suite of products, but uh, as a broker, we have way more options for people. Right. There's often misconceptions about what the people on the bank side say, usually the managers tell you, oh, don't go to the brokers, it's the devil. You know, what is something that surprised you about being a mortgage broker that, you know, a mortgage agent that you didn't know before you joined? The level of due diligence, you know, the fact that we are regulated by our province uh, here in BC. And as a mortgage specialist, of course, every company does that, but they really made us feel like the holy grail of mortgages and that to be a mortgage broker would be a step down in your career, where I found that it was definitely a step up. Yeah, I've talked to other people who told me the same thing. It was kind of like the, just the amount of due diligence required is significantly higher. And so then that's interesting. Okay, before we dive into the rest of your story, I'd love to ask about quotes because quotes are memorable and portable. Can you share a quote that's had an impact on your life or business? 
Yes, The Future is Unwritten by Joe Strummer of The Clash. Oh, good. And so how have you applied this to your life and business? Well, that really short statement just lets us know how limitless things really are for us. I think we place a lot of limitations on ourselves in all aspects of our life. And it's just a good reminder, you know, if I am placing limitations on myself, I think about that saying and push myself a little harder, knowing that uh, it's up to me to write my future. So can you think of a limitation that you've put on yourself that you've now realized was like, oh, that was totally self-imposed now looking back? I totally agree with you that this is something that we all struggle with. We have these sort of certain set points. And then that's only when we push through, we're like, wait a second. In hindsight, you go, wow, I was never there. Yeah. I think time is a big one, right? I can think early on as a, uh, well, both a mortgage specialist and as a mortgage broker, we tend to do things inefficiently when we're new to something, right? And then we get comfortable. After a while, we get pretty good at it. But then we think, oh, I've only got this amount of time in the week and this amount of energy to spend this much time doing things. But we can keep getting efficient. And I think we can often find ourselves comfortable when we get to a certain point. It's usually a financial point in our career. And we make excuses for ourselves about, right. uh, well, I can only put this many hours in. Well, guess what? If we're more efficient, we can uh, put in the same amount of hours and do better, right? Right. It's not a time thing. It's an output thing and the value of that output. So I totally agree with you. If you think about like, what's something that you've done to improve your efficiency that you would say has helped your business grow? Curious. Yeah. A big thing I did in the last two years was change brokerages. I worked for a really good brokerage before. Everybody there is amazing. However, we were really on our own when it came to all things administrative. And I switched to a brokerage about two years ago now that has a really good underwriting center. And that freed up about two thirds of my time. So little right. extra cost. I had a very, very uh, unbelievably fair split <laughs> with my previous uh, brokerage. But so uh, you, you didn't have as good of a split, but you ended up in the new brokerage, you'd have support. So give me like, what was the math on the lift in like production? Like, do you know what that looked like? So like, yeah, if you were to, I'm curious. This is pretty mind blowing. I mean, it's funny because I made the decision before I realized what the actual output would be. Thousand percent ROI. Right. It's thousand every, percent. Every, yeah. For every thousand dollars I spent, <laughs> yeah. I was getting another 10,000. As simple right. as that. Yeah. Right. That's crazy. That's a good, good way to think of it. And, you know, one of the things I always think about with our brokerage is like, how do we increase our agent's revenue per hour? Because that's a unit of measure of time and a measure of output. And so having support is a way to increase revenue per hour, right? Like that's a way to do that. So because otherwise what we can get stuck on, like you talked about, is you can think about a certain income, but then you're like, I can't make any more money. Well, because you can't make more time unless you buy time by using somebody else's time or using a tool to reduce the time it takes. So that's really good. Tell me about something that you failed at, but now looking back, there was a lesson in it for you. Yeah, definitely. It was a sport that I wanted to uh, pursue, kiteboarding out on the water. And I took some lessons and things were going well. I was learning and... Um, I was out in the water one day with my instructor and I got one of the lines wrapped around my legs. So both legs were bound together in the water. Oh ocean my goodness. Water. And yeah. you know, when you're kiteboarding, you're moving around in the water quite a bit. Uh, so your instructor's chasing around in a boat. So he came to my rescue and we got things sorted out. But you know, I was probably about six or seven lessons in at that point. And I got to the shore and thought, you know, is it worth risking drowning? to pursue this sport. And I told myself it wasn't. And it bugged me for five years. 
And right. I decided to pursue it again. And I decided to choose a different school the second time around, spoke to my new instructor about safety, let him know what had happened, and just committed to learning, committed to being successful, but uh, was willing to give it as much time as it needed to pursue that sport safely. And I'm proud to say that uh, I've been kiteboarder for nine years now. Really? And so like how many days have you been kiteboarding or what would you guess? Yeah, COVID kind of threw a bit of a wrench into things just with the management of the kiteboarding area. But, you know, I've been out probably a couple hundred times uh, since I became independent, right? Right, since you you could do it, yeah. And so have you had any other close calls? No, nothing that scared me. Scott, not like getting your legs tied together on a board and then being being like being waterboarding yourself, essentially, you know, the parachutes in the air and you're getting dread like that would suck. Oh, my gosh. But hey, kudos to you for like, you know, going, wait a second, I'm going to come back to this, even if, you know, it was several years later. So for me, one of the things I tried because I like music, but I can't sing. I tried singing lessons. It didn't work. So I haven't gone back yet because I was like, even my singing instructors looked to be like, you probably shouldn't do this. (laughs) So it is what it is. So what's the single biggest change you made in your mortgage business in the last sort of six months or so? I engaged a um, branding professional. So what did you get them to do for you? Oh boy, they did way more than I was expecting. And to be honest with you, it took a lot longer than I expected. And they made me identify exactly who I was. So we always have an idea of who we are, but they dissected that. And from there, we needed to figure out exactly who my ideal customer is. And the last thing we did was create the logo. (laughs) Often the first thing people do, right, is create a logo. But until we had identified that, there was no logo happening. It was the end of the process. Yeah, well, that should influence the other two. So, okay, how did you identify who you are? Give me like a single statement or like what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, what I learned is I've been in the business quite some time. I just really love working with my existing clients. And, you know, my clients look to me as somebody who has a lot more knowledge than they do when it comes to mortgages because they have their own life. And it's a matter of just making sure I'm staying in touch with those clients for their repeat business, but also for referrals from them and people who are like them. And so it's a matter of a smaller pool (laughs) with uh, greater potential. What is the percentage of your business comes from referrals from clients, do you think? I would say clients alone. Probably 50% of my business, referral business. Really? Okay. So what is something that you do that you think helps, encourages that many referrals? Yeah. The big thing that has gone well for me is annual reviews. I've had a CRM from the beginning, haven't used it as well as I probably should have, and I'm still fine tuning that. But the one thing I did do very consistently was make sure I was touching base with my clients at least once a year in a five-year term for an annual renewal or an annual review rather. And boy, does that really help at uh, renewal time because, you know, there's been five really, really detailed touch points, probably some other touch points from newsletters and that sort of thing. But that's helped a lot, I think. So let's say I'm your client and I've got a five-year mortgage. When do you reach out to me? Be my first question. And then what does that look like if I'm your customer? Yeah. So uh, you're in a five-year term. We're approaching year one. And you're getting an email from me and it's uh, just, hey, it's Paul checking in. Hard to believe it's been uh, over a year already. How's everything going? As simple as that. People tend to respond to that. And we just open up the conversation from there. Sometimes people say, hey, I'm all good. Sometimes people say, hey, I've had this change in my life already. We're looking to refinance for whatever reason, or we're looking to sell because we're moving or 
you know, we're having twins, whatever the case is. Right. Okay. And so you do the reach out by email. Let's say my mortgage is in November. When would you reach out to me? And if I don't respond, how many more times did you reach out? Yeah. Okay. So I reach out once a year for the first four of those five years. And then I would be reaching out another four times in that last year, six months, actually seven months. Now I've adjusted that seven months, five months, three months, two months. And hopefully by then I don't have to do a one month follow-up. Right. Okay. So, and then it's email. Is it designed to book a call? Is it designed to just start an email conversation? Yeah. I'm always like, tell me like I'm 10, but then I'm dumb. I'm a year into my mortgage in November. You're sending me an email. And what is the purpose of that email or the goal? Yeah. So we're at year one of the five-year term. The purpose is to engage you in conversation because I want to know where you're at. Perhaps you're just happy ticking along with your mortgage and you don't really want to talk to me and you just thank me for touching base. But I want to know if there's been any changes. And if there have been, I want to give you advice on that. It's not looking for a new mortgage. It's giving you that advice. So I'm giving you a positive experience. Right. And then what percentage of your people want to talk to you? So like, if you do this, if you send out a hundred of these emails, how many conversations would that start? It's not just necessarily all business. Cause sometimes it's just, Hey, I want to ask you a question. What would you say the percentage of people that actually want to talk to you? Yeah. I'd say it's about 50% response. So some of those responses would be, Hey Paul, you know, uh, doing great. Thanks for checking in. All good for now. I'd say 25% on average, probably want to engage in some level of conversation. This year, that might be a little higher just because of what's going on. What's rates are a little bit like, well, what's going on? So this is a great time to talk to your clients. Yeah. Some level of, you know, conversation. I can see that. And okay. So if 50% of them will respond by email, then do you say, hey, let's jump on a call. Here's my link. What do you do to get them to talk to you? Because I got to imagine most of the value comes from them having a conversation with you, right? Yeah. If we're engaging at that point, I'm uh, engaging them in basically requesting a, uh, phone meeting, right? I like phone meetings. And so somebody says, I have a question about this, Paul. I say, great, let's book a time for a 15 minute review and see where you're at. And, and you uh, use like a calendar link or something or what do you use yeah, for that? Yeah. Yeah. It's just easy to do it that way. So you say, Hey, book a call and then you jump on a call with them. And then is there anything else that you do that you think creates so much referral business? I think it's just a matter of sending those emails out. I don't think a lot of people do it. And it's amazing how uh, something like that keeps people engaged, keeps clients engaged. And are the emails automated as part of the CRM? Okay, so what CRM are you using to do that? Yeah, I was on GoMax for a really long time, and I've recently uh, switched over to Blue. Okay, and And so they basically will send out those notifications, hey, we need to chat, and then they reply, and then you basically get them on a phone call. Uh, That's fantastic. And then... Can you think of an example of like a filing work recently that was specifically tied to these conversations? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the big topic of conversation right now is I'm in a variable. <laughs> what should I be doing right now? Yeah. And right. so it's it's talking a lot of people off the ledge, so to speak. You know, the crazy thing is when I have those conversations with people, I'd say nine times out of 10, people stay the course. You know, why did uh, we decide variable was the best choice for you? We walked through why that decision was made. And most of the time, people just thank me for the call and say, yep, I'm staying the course. And, you know, one in 10 decides that uh, they're feeling nervous and they lock in. And that's fine, right? right? They got the option to do that. And so on these calls, do you have like, so again, this is a little different market with the rates being higher, especially variable rates. But do you have a kind of framework of a certain types of questions you ask? So let's say, hey, yeah, Paul, I want to chat. I want to get on that call with you. Do you have a game plan or how do you navigate those calls? 
Yeah, I don't think I'm too rigid. I ask them how it's going. Do you have any mortgage-related questions? I keep it pretty open. And I would ask my questions to them based on what their concern is. So you start with very open-ended questions. And then from there, oh, I'm thinking about selling. Oh, I'm having twins, whatever. And then, okay, great. That's the key to the start of the conversation. Yep. That's right. You game plan. Okay, cool. So what is the best change you made your business in the last 90 days? I would say that is identifying my brand. That's pretty right. fresh for me. And it's just giving me a lot of confidence going into 2023 about where I want to be and who I want to work with. Yeah, your site everything looks great. More wealth, less stress. It looks tight. So it's good. But you're right. It all comes down to like identify who your ideal client is. And then what is the messaging to match those two things, which is what you will quickly have done. So, yeah. Um, all right. Cool, about- man. So I can ask some rapid fire questions. You can answer shorter answers if you like. What's one thing people can't fire to you from Google? I used to be an equestrian show jumper. Really? I did. Yeah. As a teenager from about uh, 12 to 18. And that was before social media. Okay. I got Whenever somebody has some unusual skill, I always have to ask the question, what's one thing most people don't know about being an equestrian show jumper? Well, you're on a live animal <laughs> when you're uh, jumping over those jumps. And uh, unlike, say, a motorcycle or any other sports equipment, an animal... They has- show up themselves, uh, how they're going to show up on a given day. Yeah. And so that's the wild card. Mm, interesting. Very interesting. What's a movie everybody should watch at least once? A Beautiful Mind. That's a great show. What about What's a software program or digital tool you couldn't run your business without? Velocity. And uh, the reason I say that is as simple as clients being able to uh, complete the initial part of the mortgage application on their own. I find that engaging the clients early on really gets them interested and committed to working with me. Right. Make the onboarding experience easy. So what do you think is going to happen with rates in the next 12 months? I think that we may see one or two minor increases in the new year. And then they're going to flatten out. I think we may see some decreases in fixed rates sooner than later. Right. That's kind of what I'm thinking too. So remember the movie Back to the Future? You're getting the DeLorean travel back in time. So if we could put you in the DeLorean, send you back 10 years, your first day as a mortgage broker, and you could be like, Paul, pay attention. These three things, what would you tell yourself? Yeah. So number one would be uh, focus on creating and engaging your CRM from day one. Like really engage that CRM because it's a gold mine if you use it to its uh, capacity. Uh, number two, if you've given it 100%, don't take it personally when you lose a customer or a potential customer. Right. And number three, believe that there is more business out there than one broker can ever handle because that's the truth. There is. Right. That gratitude attitude it totally affects how you show up with your energy and you know your intentionality. So that's good. So focus on creating and engaging your CRM. Give 100% and don't worry about the outcome. It'll be what it'll be. And then finally, believe there's more business. So if people are listening to this, where can they find you online? Yeah, they can uh, go to my website, which is paulhudsonmortgages.ca. Right. And it's a sharp looking site. I'm looking at it right now. So uh, Paul, awesome, man. Thanks for chatting with me and congrats on your success and the growth of your business and how you've made some adjustments, realizing that, hey, I can't make more time, but if I get some help, I can be more efficient with my time, which is really the the key thing that I feel like I've picked up from this conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Scott. All right, hopefully you got a couple ideas from my conversations with Paul about database marketing. 
This next segment, Ask the Experts, I talk to Kevin about ideas for refinancing auto loans. Hey, Kevin, welcome to Ask the Experts. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. So you're a new expert that we're having on. You got a pretty cool, unique product offering for mortgage brokers. They've been eating it up since they found out about it. And it's basically auto loans that you guys do help people readjust auto loans. And so topic today that we're going to chat about is just refinancing auto loans, which if you're listening to this, you may not even know that it's actually way easier than you think. So why don't you jump into some of the things that people aren't aware of when it comes to uh, refinancing auto loans? Yeah, for sure. So the biggest thing is simplicity. Like you said, most people aren't aware how simple it is. Like we can do a file in under two hours from start to finish. And basically all we do is we just help with debt servicing. So if you've got a client with a high car payment or a high boat payment or trailer payment or whatever it may be, all we'll do is we'll just get the approval set up. We'll re-amortize it, add two or three years to the loan get the payment drop, and then we're done. As far as ease of processing, we do everything over email, contracts are signed, and then either same day or very next day, we provide the mortgage broker with absolutely every piece of paperwork that they need to satisfy their condition with the mortgage. So it's a really, really uh, quick, easy way to get the job done. Right, and so give me a couple of the things that mortgage brokers are usually surprised with when it comes to these loans. Because when I first learned about this, you start telling me some of the stuff, I'm like, what? Like, you know, you can do that. So definitely. Yeah. So the biggest surprise that they have is the speed. They can't believe how quick things happen. And that's for a few reasons. The biggest reason is that everything is system adjudicated. So an analyst doesn't look at it. A computer just picks it up. Once we submit it literally 20 seconds later, there's no proof of income. We have a large team that's designed for efficiency. So we get it all handled really, really quickly. So speed is by far the biggest thing that's surprising. And then cost, like even when I have an initial Zoom meeting with a broker, they're like, okay, how much does it cost? What's the catch? It's funny when they hear that there is none. So we don't charge any fees. There's no taxes to do the service. And it's done sometimes, like I said, in under two hours. So these are the biggest surprises to the mortgage broker or those three items. Right. Okay. Cost, speed. And so then tell me about loan to value. So like, this is something that I was unaware of when when you reach out, I'm like, what? Like, this sounds like... You know, mortgage brokers are going to fall out of their chair when they hear this because I just yeah. know how we think. So yeah. Tell me what the, what is the loan to value maximum possible on these? It's insane. Yeah. And compared to what you guys deal with on a daily basis, it does kind of put you back in your seat. So with average credit, just normal credit, kind of mid credit, we can get up to 140% loan to value. So that's big in its own right. But we can actually get up to 180% loan to value with the right client. So if they've got really super good credit. So the advances are pretty big. So if they have a vehicle in the household, it's a guarantee essentially that we'll be able to get some amount of cash out of it. We can't always get a payment drop. Most of the time we can, but there's situations where, you know, the client just bought the vehicle six months ago. If they're taking money out, the most common use is they use this to lower the payment to help with TDS, but other people will use it to pull equity out of a vehicle. Yep, yeah, for whatever reason, right? So they might use it to pay down debt, or they might use it as, you know, cash down for a first time purchase. Or I just got an email this morning from a gentleman who's got a, a free and clear boat. And he just needs a hundred grand to get through a divorce settlement. And so we're just going to provide a loan against the boat, give him some cash and he can do with what he wishes. So the nice thing about our company is that you're going to be so far ahead compared to the branch for one ease of lending. So you go to the branch, apply for a loan, they're going to watch your blood where we just, like I said, it's approved in two seconds. And then the rates. So we've got better rates in the branch and it's just, it's such a better way to do it, to attach the loan to an asset, like a car or a boat, because at the end of the day, it's going to save you a ton of money as far as monthly payments and interest rates. So it's a no brainer. Right. Can you give me an example? Because I always find it helpful for people listening to just get, so like, let's talk about a equity takeout. So what was the vehicle worth? 
what was the cash out? It's good for them to think about this. The next time they see a situation, they may be able to use this tool. Yeah, I'll give you an example of one that we got. I think it was actually almost 200% loan to value. It was a gentleman up in Fort McMurray and it was a 2000. It was a truck. It was a truck. Oh, I'm no, guess. This, it wasn't. This one wasn't. This one was actually nice. It wasn't a truck. Not this Shut time, the front door. No. Okay, oh, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> That's okay, man. I think it was a 2020. Again, it was about a month ago. 2020 Toyota Highlander. Value on it was roughly 40 grand and he needed $35,000 cash back out of it. And this was actually an acquisition. So a couple moving pieces. He had to buy the vehicle from a dealership up in Fort McMurray. So we had to provide the 40 grand to the dealership to buy the vehicle. And then we had to provide $35,000 cash back on top, which he needed to use as a down payment to get his mortgage. And we had to stay under a certain payment. So there's a lot of moving pieces there. So we got like an $82,000 loan on a $40,000 vehicle, bought the vehicle for him, gave him the cash back. He got the mortgage and it was a win for the day. Broker's jaws are just, I can guarantee the listen to this going. If you're on a treadmill, it probably slipped and just fell off the treadmill. But like, what the, you can't sue us for this. It's not our fault. You know, I know you're going to be shocked. You're going to fall off the back of the treadmill as you're listening, but that is insanity. And so explain to me why the loan, because you told me this and it kind of made sense because from a mortgage broker's perspective, I was like, how is this even possible? But explain to me why car dealerships and car loans have historically been allowed to have higher loan to values. Yeah, mostly just due to the market, right? So at the end of the day, whenever you buy a car, you barely buy it for what it's worth, 100% loan to value. It just doesn't happen because there's going to be a couple things that are done, especially if it's a truck, you might have, you know, eight to 10 grand worth of accessories on it. If you trade it in a vehicle, you might have 10 grand worth of negative equity. You might want to buy extended warranties and stuff like that. So the banks have allowed kind of this bubble of advance where it's just standard practice, 140% loan to value, standard. That everybody right. that for you. Because they know there's going to be upsells. There's going to be, you know, debt move from a different car. And so they would kill car sales if they made it at just straight across 100% loan to value. Exactly. And the nice thing about us is that you don't necessarily have to fill that 40% or 80% with product. You can just do cash. Right. So at right. The end of the day, they have those parameters and how we decide to fill them is up to the client. But we do also have to have those conversations with the client too. like the gentleman that got $40,000 cash back, like try to make extra payments, right? Because you're going to be right. a little, well, quite a bit upside down on it. Right. So we always have that conversation. And then we also give the client the option to do gap insurance if they want it. And that way they're covered. If the vehicle's in an accident, they'll get the difference covered because you wouldn't want to have a $40,000 car with an $80,000 loan, get an accident, and then you're still- Right, there. right. That makes sense, actually. Yeah, that's something yeah. for people On to the consider. big, big cash backs, we definitely make sure that the clients are aware of it, just so they have the option to protect themselves a little bit more. But yeah, it's insane, some of the stuff, and it's like- It's like, funny what's so normal in your world, in our world, like there was a time back in you know 2006, 2007, when in Vegas, you could buy a condo, they'd throw a car in. And of course, that didn't end well. <laughs> you know, you're like, holy crap. They're like, what is the value of this condo? Oh, I don't even worry about it. Here, the condo's, you know, 400 grand or 500 grand, and you get a free car. And they're, you know, it's like, what? Yeah, that's uh, a good deal. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's a good deal. That isn't possible, but it makes sense why in auto loans in particular that they have this higher loan to value than just straight across whatever the market value of the car is. So the oh. amortization too, like, you know, with some banks, we get 84 months on a 2016. Like, good luck getting even half that at the branch, right? So it's uh right. it's meant to be kind of mixed with your industry because it's just it yeah. together so perfectly right as far as getting mortgages done so it's a good thing so it's a quick recap speed you guys are really quick on this up to two hours very simple in terms of like the documentation required no fees and then loan to value can be actually you know higher than so if it's you know warranted or makes sense they can do it so if you're listening to this you can reach out to kevin at kdk financial it's kevin at kdkfinancial.com or just go to the website kevin his team will help you out 
I have no doubt you guys are going to be flat out. Oh, I know you're already flat out busy and I know that you've got a great team in place. So you'll be able to support brokers on this, but I'm excited to see how you continue to grow this, man. Thanks for coming no chat with me. No problem, man. Thanks. We'll talk again. All right. Thanks again for listening to the show. My conversation with Paul and Kevin, hopefully you got a couple ideas that you can apply to your business. Two quick things. First, could you go leave a review for our show? I'd really appreciate it. Share with somebody that you know that would find this useful. And second, if you want a free power search account, you can go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com and you can keyword search all of our past episodes. Find every little nugget that possible to apply to your business. Go check that out at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. Thanks again for listening to the show. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.